12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're using the Pew Bibles provided, that's page 989. As we continue our study in the ordinary, extraordinary, or the extraordinary, ordinary Christian life. I made it up. You'd think I'd be able to get it right. The extraordinary, ordinary Christian life. Now we know and we have looked at the fact that it is absolutely true that there are some Christians we can look at and we can wonder, how could someone have a life like that? The one that we looked at initially was the uh, life of uh, William Borden. We saw William Borden came to, into a massive fortunate birth, but as just a young man decided to leave it all, turn his back on it all, and move to China to reach the Muslims in northern China. He never made it to northern China, as you remember. He, meant he went to Egypt where he caught meningitis and died. But before he died, he had written three things in his Bible. When they said that he gave up his fortune, he wrote in his Bible, no reserves, no holding back. When he got ready to graduate and was turning down good job offers and his father said, I will never hire you if you waste your life like this, he wrote in his Bible, no retreats. And when he caught meningitis and it became obvious that he was going to die in a foreign land without ever reaching where he thought he was headed, he wrote in his Bible, no regrets. And you remember that on his headstone they wrote, Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Now what I want you to know, and what the whole purpose of our series has been for you to know, is that you can live a life here in Richwood, Texas, including Freeport, Lake Jackson, Angleson. You <laughs> come from all over the place. If you all need to move closer and save me some time. Yeah. You, <laughs> thank you, Brother Buster and Sister Carrie, for taking one town off my list by moving to Richwood. I sure appreciate that. The, you can live here in southern Brazoria County. That works. You can live here in southern Brazoria County and live a life that can only be explained by faith in Christ. You can have an ordinary life that is truly extraordinary by the power of the gospel. We've looked at two ways to do that already. You can worship. You say, what in the world? Worship. I want you to imagine. You can have intimacy with the God of the universe through his spirit that lives inside of you. You can respond to the one who spoke and the stars were. And he delights in your love. You can worship. Last week, we said you can learn that God wrote down his word to equip you for the work of ministry, that he gave to the church apostles and prophets and pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. God created people in the church, gave the church people to train you so you can do the work of ministry. You can be taught the very thoughts and desires of God. That's incredible. I mean, we're so used to it, right? You say, well, you know, you know we, just, we just do the best we can. No, God breathed out his word 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is God breathed. Theos pneumate. All scripture was breathed by God. First Peter says, holy men of old, no prophecy comes by private interpretation, but holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God's word breathed out for you. You can know God's will. How seriously did God take that? Well, I told you before. Over 1,500 years, he inspired 40 different people living on three continents, writing in three languages, to give you 66 books bound together without error or contradiction to tell you his truth. And you say, well, there's so many things that aren't in there. Well, that's true. You know, The Bible does not tell you how to cook an egg or whatever. The Bible doesn't tell you how to fry a chicken, fried steak. There are important things that are not in the Bible, clearly. The Bible gives you everything that you need to know to be perfect, thoroughly furnished, and every good work. You can do every, you are equipped by the Bible to do everything that God wants you to do. You can learn, you can worship, you can learn. Today, we're going to see you can serve. You can do. Now, I want you to imagine that a, a phone call came in for you. My phone starts ringing and I don't answer it, and somebody else's phone starts ringing and bounces around the room. Finally, someone pulls it out and tries to figure out how are we all getting called one after the other? Well, it's the President of the United States, and he is GPSed in on your location because he's got a mission for you. And you say, well, I'm a little busy right now. And you, you say, look, I've got lunch plans. You know, I'm getting ready to, to go down to Fat Boys, and you know, they've got uh, these delicious chicken fried steaks. And, you know, the Bible doesn't tell me how to cook a chicken fried steak, so I've got to go to Fat Boys. And, if you've ever been to Fat Boys, you know it's going to take a while. You can't just fly off to Washington, D.C. right this second. And the president says, no, 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 I've got a job, and you are the only one who can do it. Today, we're going to get you on a plane, and tomorrow there's going to be no more ISIS. You say, wow. And then you say, well, you know, yeah, I'm not really interested. Maybe next week. Nobody would do that, right? You say, what about somebody else? And the President of the United States says, no, I've talked to the CIA, I've talked to the NSA, I've talked to everybody. You are the only one that can pull this off. You have been specially equipped. We've been following you your whole life. Five presidents have monitored your progress. And now we have found out that this is the time you are ready to take down the terrorist state. You say, well, I don't know. Nobody would do that, right? So here's the question posed by many people over the ages. Why is it that a commission from an earthly king is an honor, but a commission from a heavenly king is a sacrifice? Why is it that if the president of the United States said, we've got a mission, your country needs you, you would say, okay, I'll go. You know, you say, well, I wouldn't say that if it was President Obama. I wouldn't say that if it was President Trump. Yeah, you would. The President of the United States calls and says, your country needs you. Politics suddenly become a lot less important. So then my question is, why is it that when the God of the universe says, I've got a job for you, you say, well, you know, let me think about it. 
ordinary Christian can have the extraordinary privilege of doing God's work. God has a job for you. Now that explains a lot. I sent out a little poem last night on our text alerts. If you don't get our text alerts, you ought to. You miss things like little poems if you don't. Um, And the little poem last night was, To live above with saints above, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. You ever feel like that? You say, you know, in heaven, we're all going to be together, and we're going to be so happy, but how can we possibly get along here? Well, here's what it is we're going to see this morning. The extraordinary, ordinary Christian has got a lane. And when you're in your lane, and you're doing what you're supposed to do, and I'm in my lane, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and somebody else is in their lane, and they're doing what they're supposed to do, the whole thing moves harmoniously. You ever lifted up the hood of a car and watched all those things going all at once? You start to think about it. You've got pistons firing and belts spinning and different things and fans going and everything all at once. You say, wow, how do all these parts not just ram into each other? Well, because they're all where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to be there. Have you ever had a car or a lawnmower or whatever not do that, where something got out of its place? That did not end well, did it? You know, have you ever had a belt break on something and decided that it was going to take a couple other things with it? You say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to take care of that battery eventually. You leave your you know, battery in there, and you charge it up a little bit, and you try to put it off because you're smart. You're going to save some money. What happens to your alternator? Huh. <laughs> that sure seemed like a good idea at the time. What happens when somebody in the church gets out of the place that God has put them and the task God has given them? It hurts everybody. I um, have been sick this week, uh, starting Tuesday. Now I'll be honest to say starting Tuesday. You know, it was a, I don't know about all of you. When I get sick, um, I always, in my mind, underestimate a little bit how long I've been sick because going to the doctor is not one of my favorite activities. Um, one, I just can't stand sitting still. That's why I hate getting haircuts. I don't know. Whenever I get a haircut, I'm like, cut it too short. I'm going to wait longer until the next haircut. Let it grow too long, then cut it too short. Repeat. Uh, Do the same thing with the grass. It's fine. So here's the point. I've been sick. Now, my head has not really been sick. My hands haven't been really sick. My feet haven't been really sick. What's been sick for me has been my lungs. Take a, every time I take a deep breath, I cough. You know. And you go to the doctor, and they stick the stethoscope on you, and they're like, okay, take a deep breath. And, <coughs> you know, I told you this was going to happen. <laughs> what am I wasting my time here for? You know. And then uh, the, everybody's favorite part, right? They say, well, we're going to check you for strep, and we're going to check you for the flu. And so they take one Q-tip, and they stick it down your mouth into your stomach and scrape your stomach a little bit. At least that's what it feels like. They take another Q-tip and they stick it up your nose into your brain and take a brain sample. So I hope you found something in there. That would be nice, you know. But they say, look, you know, when they get at the end of all that, and they say, yeah, you're sick. It's probably a virus, not anything you can do. So glad you came in for our friendly scraping today. That's right. 
by the way, you have a $35 copay on the way out. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, dog. Yeah. So I was sick in my lungs, coughing, breathing, having a hard time. But do you know, whenever I tried to do anything else, I had a hard time doing it because I was sick in my lungs. I, like I said, can't sit still. And so when I'm talking on the phone to somebody, I walk around. Or I could not talk on the phone. Um, you know, when Colleen and I first started dating, sometimes she would say, you know, are you upset with me? You seem a little short. We're talking on the phone. I said, well, I just uh, talking on the phone is not my favorite activity. So I walk. I pace. Um, I pace. I pace a lot. Some of you may have suspected. Um, and I... And it was not that long ago that uh, Tara tagged me in Facebook on some kind of a fidgeting device. And I was like, what in the world do you think I would need that for? So, can't sit still, talking on the phone, walking back and forth. And you know, walking around the house, I just got worn out. Now, there was nothing wrong with my feet. There was nothing wrong with my legs. But because part of me was hurting, all of me was hurting. So, extraordinary, ordinary Christian, you have an incredible responsibility. You've got a service. You've got something God has placed you here for. God did not save you to go stale. He saved you to serve. So, today in 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to go very fast. There's some very controversial stuff. And you're going to say, Justin, you skipped this and you skipped that, and you really should have talked about that time. Well... I promise that later next year, sorry, December, next year we're going to go back and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and 13 and 14, and we're going to look at this idea of love and giftings and different things, and we're going to look at that in some detail. Today, I'm going to wave your hands and say, don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain, because we're going to be looking at one specific thing in particular, and that is unity and diversity in the body of Christ. And because I don't have time to prove to you what the Word of God says about some of these other things, and I just have to say, trust me, I'm going to try to avoid doing that because I don't want you to trust me because I don't have any authority. I don't mean I don't want you to trust me. I don't want you to think, well, did you see? Was somebody keeping an eye on Brother Justin when he had the offering plate? That's not what I mean. I mean, I don't want you to say what he thinks is what matters. I want you to only believe what I say if you can see me drawing it out of the Word of God. So, We're going to skip some things that are important, uh, but we are going to come back to them later. This is why I like preaching through books, so I don't have to say things like this. But because we're bouncing around here with this series, we're just going to have to deal with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You'll notice in your King James Version it says concerning spiritual gifts, but you'll notice that gifts look like it's being blown over in a windstorm. When something is in italics... In the King James Version, the ESV, the New American Standard, literal translations like that, it means the word was added by the translators to make it easier to understand. Sometimes you're like, wow, that's so great. Thank you for adding that. Sometimes you think, well, you could have left that alone. Because there is nothing in the original language to indicate that he's talking about gifts here. You know why they put that? Well, because the next chapter and the end of this chapter are talking about gifts. But in fact, literally, it says, now concerning spirituals. And they couldn't leave it like that because a spiritual is a song. You know, you think a spiritual. But in the Greek, it's very ambiguous. So if you're one kind of person, you might say, oh, it means concerning spiritual gifts. Somebody else might say, oh, it means concerning spiritual persons. 
Somebody else might say it's spiritual things, it's spiritualities. It's probably the most literal translation you could offer. And so to give you a little bit of context, in Corinth, they fell into something that a lot of Christians fall into. They created two classes of Christians. There were the spiritual Christians, and there were the ordinary Christians. And the ordinary Christians wished they could be like the spiritual Christians, but they just weren't good enough. The spiritual Christians were glad they weren't like the ordinary Christians because they were extra spiritual. They created a hierarchy within the church. But do you know, the Bible says of all Christians, ye are a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, a holy nation, that ye should show forth the excellencies of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know that God does not have levels within the church. When we have a vote, I don't get two votes. Because I have got the same Holy Spirit in me that you have in you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you've got a problem because you're not a Christian. The Bible says, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. All Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. If you're not a Christian, the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of you. And as the full corollary... If the Holy Spirit does not live inside of you, you are not a Christian. I don't care what prayer you repeated or when you raised your hand. I don't care who told you you're a Christian. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not. And without the Holy Spirit, you cannot live the extraordinary, ordinary Christian life. So he says, concerning spiritualities, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. He says, I don't want you to be unknowing about the spiritualities. He says, you know that when you were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. He said, you know that back when you were Gentiles, back when you were lost, he says, you were carried away to dumb idols, even as you were led. Uh, this is it's pretty neat, actually. There were these big parades that would take place in Corinth, and people would just kind of get caught up in the parade and be drugged to the idol temple, and everybody was expected to go. And if you didn't go, well, obviously you were an atheist, and Christians got in trouble and uh, were arrested and different things because they refused to go in these big parades up to the idol temples. He says, you know that you used to go and you used to be swept away to these idols who couldn't speak. They would bang drums and they would do different things and you would worship before a powerless statue. You were drug away, but not by them. He says, you know that it used to be that way. He says, wherefore, verse 3, I give you to understand <coughs> that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, when you were pagans, you just kind of got swept along. The priests told you what the idols wanted to say. You were brought along in crowds and different things. He said, but now that you're a Christian, you do not worship a dead God who cannot speak. You are not carried away to your God. Your God moves inside of you and speaks through you. And he says, but there is one way to tell if someone is really moved by the Spirit of God or not. If they say, Jesus is Lord. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Satan will not lead somebody to glorify Jesus. 
then they're moved by the Holy Spirit. If they say, Jesus is anathema, Jesus is rejected, Jesus is accursed, then they are not moved by the Holy Spirit. It does not matter how incredible things someone seems to do. If, it doesn't, if they are not decreeing that Jesus is Lord, they are not moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say, it's not just what you say. Not everybody who says Jesus is Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not your words. It's what you decree. If I'm burning an American flag while I say God bless America, I'm not really saying God bless America. If my life declares that Jesus has no authority over me while I call him Jesus Lord, then I'm not really making him my Lord. So, very simple thing. Are you led by the Spirit of God? You say, well, you know, yes, I am. Here's my question. Are you making Jesus Lord? So there are people on television who are uh, preachers of some sort or another, who say, you know, I just feel led right now that I need a private jet. It's hard for me to sit with the common folks. I heard an interview with this where one, a very famous uh, television preacher was saying that, you know, going to crusades and stuff, he couldn't fly um, on commercial airlines because if he was around the other people, he couldn't pray and couldn't get focused. Wow, that's, that's interesting. Um, You must be a very special person. You must be a spiritual. If somebody says that, and they're trying to do things to fulfill their own lusts, Jesus is not Lord. So, is this Holy Spirit guiding them? No. If you hear somebody say something like, you know, God just worked it out where I could go home early and my boss would never know. And I really needed that rest. God must have known I needed that rest. God didn't work that out. The Holy Spirit didn't do that for you. Somebody says, and this is increasingly a problem in our culture, isn't it? You know, well, I was married, but you know, God just led me to the person that he really wanted me to be with, and we fell in love and lived happily ever after, after I got divorced from my first spouse. No, God did not do that. That wasn't God. The Holy Spirit will lead you to follow the authority of Jesus. And the authority of Jesus will never lead you to sin. So if you think the Holy Spirit is leading you to do something that is sinful, God does not stutter. God decrees himself as Lord. So God did not work out things for you that were sinful. The Holy Spirit was not guiding you into sin. Now, of course, as a corollary to that, That does not mean that if you've sinned once, God never guides you again. So let's say that you got divorced for whatever reason, and later you're praying and asking God, and you you marry the right person. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I'm saying God did not lead you to have an affair. God did not lead you to leave your spouse, uh, except for cause of adultery or abandonment. God did not cause you to leave work early or cheat on your taxes. He didn't work it out where you wouldn't get audited. No man speaking by the Spirit of Christ can say Jesus is accursed. What does Jesus have to do with this? But if you're doing something and that thing glorifies Jesus, then you are led by the Spirit of God. So when somebody says, well, I've got a gift, 
Here's the question. Here's how you evaluate if your gifting, if your service is really serving. Does it proclaim Jesus as Lord or not? If it does not proclaim Jesus as Lord, it is not a gift from God. So where is your service? What are you doing that shows that Jesus is Lord? He says, any man speaking by the Spirit of God cannot call Jesus accursed. And no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, he, he says in verse 4, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Now the next time that a Mormon comes to your door or whatever, and they say, well, you know, where is the Trinity in the Bible? You say, well, here in 1 Corinthians 12, it says there's different gifts, but one spirit. There's different administrations, but one Lord. I guess that's Jesus. And there's diversities of operations, but it's one God that works all in all. Spirit, Lord, God. Huh. All working together. One God, three persons. Blessed Trinity. There's God. Now, <coughs> excuse me, I'm so sorry. What's it saying? It's saying there are lots and lots of kinds of things, but they are all on the same page. That means that when you come into the church, you do not become just like me. You don't look at my gift and say, okay, how am I going to copy his gifts? Do you know why? Because there's already a me. I don't come into church and look at you and say, how can I copy her gifts? Because there's already a you. There are lots of different gifts, but one spirit. You don't say, well, this person's led by God because they are such a great speaker. Or this person's led by God because their prayers seem to always get answered. Or this person's led by God because they've got this ability or that ability. The type is irrelevant. Later on, he's going to say, speaking in the first century, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And the implied answer in the Greek to all of those is no, 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 no. <laughs> Everyone is not... You don't show that you're on the same page by doing the same things. You show you're on the same page by being led by the same Spirit. How are you led by the same Spirit? Because what you're doing decrees that Jesus is Lord. So God has given you a gift, and the purpose of that gift is to reveal his Lordship. You've been given an incredible gift. It can have different kinds of things. And, of course, the Corinthians said, well, if you were really spiritual, you would speak in tongues. You know, the not-so-spiritual people uh, prophesy, and the not-so-spiritual people do this, and the not-so-spiritual people do that. And Paul says, no, God gives each person the gift that they need to do what they need to do to accomplish his purpose, to decree his lordship. And, again, you say, well, Justin, we'll talk about some of those things. Not today. We've got to focus We'll be here this afternoon and tonight and all day, tomorrow probably. So, he says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Oh, boy. We may be here all afternoon anyway. Look at this. 
Do you know who is given a spiritual gift? You say, well, I guess the spiritual people. I guess I don't really have a service. You know, my service is uh, I hold the pew down. I am the expert pew holder downer. Well, that's wonderful, you know. I'm awfully proud of you. But if you'll lean over and look, you will see little brackets and little Phillips head screws. Anything I can do with a Phillips head screw, I don't need you. I don't need you to hold the pew down. God did not put you here to hold the pew down. God gave you a supernatural, extraordinary gift. Do you know who it says? It says, every man. And you say, well, okay, so, ooh, I'm a woman, I'm off the hook. No, every anthropos, every human, every human being, God gave a manifestation of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean lost people. Of course, here he's talking about in the church. He says, to every Christian, when you became a Christian, God gave you a gift to manifest his spirit. What manifests his spirit? Proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. To proclaim Jesus is Lord. Why? Well, so I could be spiritual, you know, so I could lift myself up, so I could be a leader in the church. You know? To profit with all. To build up the body. We saw that last week, didn't we? God gave to the church, first apostles and prophets, prophet, uh, uh, pastor teachers, for the building, for the uh, equipping of the body, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body. God gave me to the church. You say, well, I wish, you know, we'd send that one back. Sorry, here I am. God gave me to the church to equip you to do the work of ministry to build the church up. Wash, rinse, repeat. God gave a manifestation of the Spirit to every man to profit with all. You've got a spiritual gift. True story, Charles Spurgeon had a church member. Uh, he pastored a mega church in London in the 1800s. And he went to visit this elderly woman living in the poorhouse. Just a little room, a little thing built into this house for elderly people, helpless people. And he saw something on her wall. And he asked her what it was. This woman couldn't read. And she said, well, I um, used to take care of this man. And when he died, he gave that to me. And I just, I cherished him so much, I just stuck it up on my wall. Charles Spurgeon went over there and looked at it. And it was a deed to this wealthy man's property. She was living in the poorhouse because she didn't know what she had been given. It didn't do her any good to have that gift hanging on the wall. God has given you a gift to serve. And if you don't use your gift to waste it, can you imagine what a tragedy it is to think of that woman living for years in filth and helplessness when she had something given to her hanging up? Can you imagine what a tragedy it is that so many Christians live in uselessness, no self-esteem, no accomplishments for God, because the gift God gave them is still hanging on the wall and they don't have the courage to use it? They don't have the courage to ask somebody to help them read it if they can't figure it out themselves. What a waste. God has a job for you. And you say, well, I'm old, or I'm young, or I'm this, or I'm that. 
Wait, wait, wait. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Your job may change as you get different ages. Your responsibilities, the gifting God's given to you, it's supernatural. It can change. Your role may be different than it was or when it will be, but you have a purpose from God or you would be dead. I can prove that to you too, but I'm uh, not going to right this very second. It's in, uh, Jesus talks about it, though. He says there's 12 hours in the day. In any case, I'm sorry. I've, I've got to stay focused. He says, uh, verse 8, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. Um, like I said, we're going to survey this very quickly. He says, to some people is given the uh, logos of wisdom, the discourse about wisdom. You ever know somebody who's wise? Wisdom is the art of living well. Somebody who can look at a problem and can see how the word of God applies to that problem and can help you out of it. Some of the most valuable people you can have in your life, the word of wisdom. He says, um, to another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. There's different levels of this, and that's one of the reasons we've got to kind of gloss over this, because it gets very complicated. Because some people, given the word of knowledge, were people like Paul, who knew things they could not know supernaturally for the purpose of writing the scriptures. Some people, though, given the gift of knowledge, the gift that um, I think is valuable in a pastor, for example, a pastor-teacher, is the ability that God calls up the word of God to your mind. He gives you the ability to learn it and know as well. That's a, a gift because it glorifies Jesus' Lord. Uh, if somebody on TV here we go, says, I've got a word of knowledge, you know, you've got a sore leg, and if you send me $500, your sore leg will be fixed. Uh, You imagine if I went on TV and I said, you know, I feel a new jet coming on. Uh, Somebody watching me right now has a cold. If you send me $1,000, then you will be over it in eight to ten days, guaranteed. I've got a word of knowledge. (laughs) That's not a word of knowledge. That's not by the Spirit. How do I know that's not by the Spirit? Because does me trying to enrich myself declare that Jesus is Lord? Any man speaking by the Spirit of Christ will say Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is not the center of it, then it's not really by the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what is it by? That's a wonderful question. All right, so. The, uh, to another, uh, faith by the same Spirit. Here again, you've got faith, you know. Uh, in, in the case of the New Testament, of course, uh, a lot of people say, well, that's faith to do miracles. Well, that's not really right because uh, miracles are a little later. Faith. You ever know somebody who looks at an insurmountable problem and has the faith to lead you through it? That's a supernatural gift. Not everybody has that. And God gives you that to build up the body by the same spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. Fascinating. It's plural. So in the New Testament, you've got in Acts this incredible thing. You've got Paul telling people, be healed. Peter and John saying, uh, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. But do you know what else you have? You have Luke healing people. Luke did not heal people by saying, rise up and walk. He healed people by saying, look, I've got a bandage and I've got a splint and let me heal you. You've got Dr. Luke. So you say, when when you go to the doctor, do you know what? That doctor was given to you by God. I don't know if you've had much dealings with somebody who's a godly doctor who'll pray with you and stuff before surgery, but what a glorious thing God, it is that God gave that person for the building up of the body. 
Fascinating. Here we go. Uh, to another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discernment of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. I wish we had time to slow down. But look, he gives, he gives different gifts. They have different degrees of supernaturality and the, you know, the, all of that's very important. But here, here's what I really want to get across today. All these worketh that one and the same Spirit. Whatever gift God has given you, he has given it to you through the same Holy Spirit that he used to give other people other gifts. Amen. Now, you know, there are, again, different perspectives on some of these things that 1 Corinthians 12 does not address. And we see it more in 13 and 14 about when do these spiritual gifts exist, where do they exist, why do they exist, all those things. Um, I am, uh, you know, I operate from the perspective of uh, cessationism, that the purpose of the gifts was to prove the authority of the word of God and that once the word of God was established, they were no longer necessary in the same way. Um, There's two kinds of that. There's hard and soft. Hard says once the Bible was finished, it all ended. Uh, Soft said it fizzled out as the Bible spread to new areas and it was authenticated in different regions. Um, I'm not going to get into that right now because I don't have time. But I want you to know that those gifts that God gives you are given by the same supernatural spirit and have just as much power as when the apostles raised people from the dead. The spirit that God gave to you has just as much extraordinary power if you've got the gift of helps, encouragement, if you've got the gift of administration, if you've got the gift of giving, if you've got the gift of faith, if you've got all these different gifts, it was given to you by the same Spirit. So why won't you use it? Verse 12, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members are of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. Your body's got lots of different parts. Your body's got fingers. Your body's got toes. Your body's got everything. But it's one body. What makes it one body? What makes your body one body is not that it's all exactly the same. Isn't that right? What makes your body one body? It's that your body shares life. When you were conceived, you were a single-celled life. You were separate separate from your dad. You were a single-celled life. And you know what happened? That single cell split into two cells. What made those two cells one body? They shared that same life. They were part of your life. They split more and they grew and now you've got a body. What makes your body your body? It is full of your life. You have a child? It's got its own life. It's its own body. It's incredible. Jesus created this church by sending a cell. That cell reached people, got saved, divided. God added other people by transplants and different things. It's one body. says, and I'm going to have to read this very quickly, but 
For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Like you were brought into one body, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the foot says, you know, I just don't really feel like I'm a part of the body. I just feel separate. Does that mean that your foot's cut loose? No, because it's still got the same life. (laughs) So if you've got somebody who says, I just don't really feel like a part of this church. I just don't feel like I'm that important. Does that make that person not important? No, because it's got the same life. God has placed you in this church. You have the same life. You're a part of the body. If the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? This is, if all the parts of your body were the same, if I asked you, what's your favorite part of your body? And you said, oh, I just really like my eyes. They twinkle. And I said, okay, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, you're a pile of eyes. That's not a good body. You say, well, who's the most important person in the church? Well, you know, I think that um, the treasurer is the most important person in the church. I think that, you know, somebody's got to count the money and deposit the money and everything. That's fantastic. I think our treasurer is very important. But if everybody in the church is the treasurer, we don't have anything to do with any of that money. You say, well, I just don't feel like my gift is that important. Every gift is important. I've got lungs, and I've got a heart. If I take, if my lungs wake up in the morning, and they say, you know what, Justin? I am sick and tired of being lungs. Air? What's the point of air? I'm going to start pumping blood. If my lungs start pumping blood, I'm having a bad day. If my heart says, oh, blood, it's sticky, it's gross, I'm going to start pumping air. If your heart starts pumping air, you are having a bad day. If God has given you a gift, and you wake up in the morning and you say, oh, you know what, I'm tired of my gift. I'm going to do something else. You know, I don't care what God's gifted me to do, I've got my eye on this. This church is going to have a bad day. Just like I'm sick, my lungs get messed up, the rest of me gets hurt too. When one person in the church is hurting, the whole church hurts. When one person in the church gets out of their lane, the whole church suffers. Here is the extraordinary, ordinary Christian life. God has given you a gift for the purpose of building up your church. It may not be the gift you wanted. You're not in charge. God has given you his spirit to equip you with something. Oh, here's the the real sales pitch, isn't it? You can worship. You can learn. You can serve. We've got three church services every week. Isn't that cool, brother? You can worship on Sunday mornings. You can learn on Sunday nights. You can serve on Wednesdays, whatever. But if you are always taking in and never giving out, you'll become spiritually obese. God did not give you the Bible to make you a smarter sinner, but to make you more like the Savior. God has got a job for you. And if you're not doing your job, 
or if you're doing the wrong job, then everybody here is suffering because of that. And you're suffering because the deed, the marvelous gift God gave you is hanging on the wall. So this morning, I've got a very simple thing for you. Do you know what your gifting is? Are you using it? If you don't know, have you had the courage to, God, to ask God, really? You know, I don't believe that God is mocked. If you go to God and you say, God, tell me what my gift is, as long as it's not A, B, C, D. God's not going to show you anything, whether it's A, B, C, D or not. God is not going to be made a mockery of. God's not going to teach you to act like that. But if you come to him in faith and say, God, what is your role for me? Say, God, are you calling me into pastoral ministry? Are you calling me into teaching? Are you calling me into administration? Are you calling me into um, serving, helping cook, helping write birthday cards, helping whatever your gifting is, helping write a prayer bulletin, music, whatever. I don't know what your gifting is, but if you're willing to do whatever, then I believe that this morning, if you pray and ask God and surrender your life to that, that God will show you right now. If you've never been saved, you say, you know, I don't have a gift. You get your spiritual gift when you are born in the family of God. You got your physical gifts when you were born into your physical family, you know. Um, Anastasia got her uh, remarkable good looks and uh, 90th head. One from me, one from her mom. You've got to guess which is which. Um, when she was born. It's genetics. It's in her physical birth. When you were born again, you get a spiritual gift. If you say, I can't live this kind of extraordinary life, but I want a taste of that. This morning, know that Jesus loved you so much that he came and died so that you could have a gift. He came and died to give you fellowship with him and worship so you could receive his word and so you who were once his enemy could be equipped to be a prized member of his household. God is ready this morning if you are ready to serve. As we stand and as our musicians come forward, we're going to have a hymn of invitation.